0: Okay, well, if you have your Bibles or your phones, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on, we are starting a new series, and this series is going to take us all the way up to Easter. Uh, Easter is coming, believe it or not, April, t- uh, April 17th, so it's almost here, um, and I want to I point out, do you guys see my handiwork? Why would you laugh? You don't even really know. Like, what if I really, what if I really, who, okay, who believes that I put that together? You guys lie. You're not, you don't believe it. You're just being encouraged. How many believe that Alyssa, our children's pastor, put that together? Absolutely. Absolutely. She was the mastermind behind that. And so, um, guys, uh, why, why are we looking at I am? It's the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. Uh, where he refers to himself, he says, I am, and today we're going to look at when he says, I am the bread of life. And so we're going to take one of these every Sunday, and, and then we're going we're to take one on Good Friday. We're going to finish up uh, the last one on, uh, on Easter Sunday. So we're going to spend the next few weeks in this, uh, in this series. And uh, guys, I'm going to be honest, I'm really excited about it. As often as I've heard this series preached by others, I've never done it myself And to just look at what Jesus says, this is who I am, and it really doesn't matter. A lot of times we look at the things that Jesus says and go, okay, there's a couple principles that are going to help me in my life. But friends, I'm convinced that when we really truly understand who he is, and we live in the reality of who he is, it impacts everything. At least it should. And so we're just going to spend, how could you go wrong focusing in on Jesus? So that's our that's our goal for the next few weeks as we come together. So if you don't mind, could we pray one more time before we jump into a time where we look at His Word? Let's pray together. <clears throat> and so, Father, we humble ourselves this morning, and we ask that You would speak to us, God, that You would keep us teachable and humble to receive. Holy Spirit, I pray that You would make much of Jesus as we focus in. God, I pray that you would blow us away, God, from passages that we've read. Many of us have read these things before, but God, I pray that you would take us deeper. Father, do not allow boredom to set in. Shock us this morning as you reveal more and more of who you are and change us. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says amen. In Exodus chapter 3, God introduces himself to Moses and reveals his plan to Moses. And if you've had any kind of church background in your, in your life, you, you might know the story of Moses in the burning bush, when God reveals himself, but there's this burning bush, and Moses sees this bush that's not burning, and he has to go look at it. <clears throat> I'm going to be honest, I don't know that I would have gone closer, but I kind of showed him he's a shepherd. He's been a shepherd for 40 years. Remember, for 40 years, he's in Egypt. He's kind of like the adopted uh, grandson of Pharaoh, and then for the next 40 years, he's Kind of off on his own, he's married, he's got a couple kids, and he's watching sheep. And I'm thinking that's why he actually went to go look at the burning bush, because it's watching sheep. I mean, how bored are you all day? So he's like, there's something on fire, I'll go walk at that. And so he, he goes and looks, but it's not burning. And then as he gets closer, God says, don't come any closer. In fact, take your shoes off, take your sandals off. Why? Because where you stand, this is holy ground. The passage never says why to take his shoes off. It doesn't say this is the reason. And we have a lot of people that say this is the reason. This is a guess. I don't know if this is true. But I wonder if God had to get his attention and go, what you're used to doing, don't treat me as common like everything else. My friends, I feel like maybe we kind of treat God as common. I mean, it's just Jesus. Right? It's just God. we got to remember he's God. Like he spoke everything into existence. That he holds all things together. Friends, he's outside of time and yet lives inside of time. This is God who showed himself to Moses, introduces himself to Moses through this burning bush and then speaks to him. And then he says, this is what you're going to do. See, I've heard what my my people have gone through. When you get to... Um, In chapter 3, verse 7, listen to this. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Friends, if you ever feel like God doesn't know what's going on, go back to what the scriptures say. He says, I know what my people are going through. I hear their cries. That means every time that you call out to God, God hears you. Guys, if you even go deeper and you continue to look in the scriptures, not only does he hear you, he knows what you're going to cry out before you cried out. And yet he still wants to hear from us. He says, I see the affliction of my people. And I hear their cries. And I see how they're being treated by their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And here's this phrase, and I want us to remember this phrase. And I have come down. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Just remember that phrase, I have come down. Then all of a sudden Moses starts to make excuses as to why he's not the guy because this is what God says. Hey, this is what I'm going to do. Oh, I think you should. Oh, and I'm going to send you to go get it done. I'm going to go go with you, but you're you're the guy. "Uh Uh-uh, I don't want to do it. You ever felt like God's going to do this massive thing. You're like, "Yo, God, go. And then he's like, yeah, you're going to go. No, 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 I don't want to do it. I mean, it's easy for us to look at Moses and say, just say yes, this is huge. It was an opportunity. You get to go into the most powerful country in the world, talk to the most powerful person on the planet and demand that he let all of his two million plus slaves go. And say, God told me to come tell you that. Why don't you want to do that? And maybe it's Maybe it's kind of telling because how often will we not even do that to a person across the street or a person in the checkout line? We're nervous. We're scared. And so Moses is just being honest before God. I'm scared about this. So he starts making all these excuses. One of he says, okay, so if I, go to, if I go to your people and they say, well, what's his name? What should I tell them? I remember hearing, I remember a professor that I had years ago uh, when I was in college, years, not, a few, not a ton, just a couple years ago, uh, back when I was in college. Um, he, said, he said he had read somewhere that there was this belief among many of the pagan religions that if you knew the secret name of God, you can control that God. So it's almost like Moses was saying, what's your name? Because I want to make sure that if I go, I can kind of control you. And then here comes God. God said to Moses, I am Who I am. That's a weird name. I am who I am. It's literally, I will be who I will be. In other words, you don't get to define me. You don't get to dictate to me what I'm going to do. I will be who I will be. So he says, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. So with that backdrop, we begin this new series in the I am. And we look at Jesus, we start here in John chapter 6. In verse 22, it says, the first few words, on the next day. So what happened the day before? It's kind of an important day. There's about 20,000, 20 20 plus thousand people hanging out, listening to Jesus speak. It says there are 5,000 men, but there's no way it's just men. It was just like a men's club. So there's women and children all hanging out, and they get hungry. And Jesus looks at Philip and says, hey, they're hungry. We need to feed them. And I like Philip because he's honest. He's like, how can we do that? We don't have enough bread. Guys, can you imagine you're just sitting there and Jesus just comes up with this idea. Guys, come here. You see all these people? Yeah, what are we going to do? They're hungry. Ah, we probably should send them home. No, no, no. You feed them. I want you to feed every single one of them. Friends, if you only think that Jesus will ask you to do the things that make sense to you, your Jesus is too small and you're not hearing from him very well. He will ask us to do things that are so beyond us. Why? Because he'll get the glory, and we'll get a memory for it. Like, we get to do things with him, but are we open to doing the kind of things that he wants to do? So it feels like, we don't have enough, we don't have enough money to buy enough. I mean, eight months' wage is not going to pay for enough food for these people. And then Andrew comes along, and Andrew goes, hey, Jesus, here's a little boy's lunch. Good job, Andrew. Way to fix the problem for no one. Because he starts off going, hey, here's, here's a little boy's lunch. And then the next word he says is, but. But what, what will that do with so many people? And see, I wonder, how did he know? Like, has, did was he just looking at a little kid as he's eating? He goes, give that to me. And he comes and takes it. Or did the little boy offer like what if the little boy doesn't say in the passage? But what if the little is sitting there close by, and Jesus says, "We need to feed all these people." Isn't it just like a little kid to go here? You could you could use this. Remember when you were little and God could do anything, and then we got older, and we forgot it. And that Jesus, all that He asked us to give us what we have, give Him what we have, and let Him do something massive with it. And so can you imagine a little boy going, you can use this. He's like pulling in Andrew's coat. You can use this. And Andrew's like, thanks. But what will this do with so many? And what if Jesus looked at the little boy going, yes. You you stand by me, Andrew, go away. Come here, come here. You watch. And some people go, how big were the loaves? There's five loaves and two fish. How big were the loaves? Guys, does it matter for 20,000 people? It'd be like five Twinkies and two sardines. That's the size of the lunch. They're barley loaves. It's a poor boy's lunch. And Jesus took it. He just starts to break it. After he gives thanks, he gives, he's breaking it. Had all the people sit down. Disciples are going out taking food. It said everyone had their fill and there were leftovers. And then after all that, Jesus sends his disciples on ahead. And they get in the boat and they go across. And they hit a, they hit a storm. And what's Jesus do? He waits to the last watch of the night. And isn't it just like Jesus to do that to us? You ever prayed and God came through at the last minute? You're like, are you late? Friends, you realize that God is never late nor early. We are. He never is. Why wait till the last watch? Guys, my faith doesn't grow during times of ease. My faith grows when I have to struggle at the oars. That's when my faith increases. I've got to trust God. I'm going to do my part, but I've got to trust God to come through because I can't do this. The Bible says that Jesus went walking to them on the sea. And they freaked out, which is understandable. Guys, the middle of the night or the last part, the last part of the night where you, you really can't see very well, but you kind of see this figure walking on the water. At no point do you sit there and go, uh-huh, that's Jesus. They'd never seen this before. they go, it's a ghost. We're going to die. If I was Jesus, I might have played along with it for a little bit. (laughs) Maybe I would have done that. He says, no, 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 don't be afraid. It's me. And then Peter got to walk on water, at least for a little bit. And isn't it amazing how quick we are to judge Peter? Like, why did you doubt? Remember, he takes some steps, and he starts noticing the wind and the waves, and he sinks. And I'm, I, I remember when I was younger, I used to sit there and go, "You slacker! Just believe. Just walk forward." And like I want the rest of the disciples did not even get out of the boat. Peter's the only one. Peter looked at Jesus when he's on the water and said, "Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you." Isn't that an incredible request? And Jesus followers, we should be saying the same. We should be saying the same thing to Jesus: Jesus, I want to do the same things you do. And you notice Jesus' response. What's he say? One word. Come. You imagine all the disciples going, Go on, water walker, go on. And as he put one foot out and stepped down, and it stuck, and then he lifted and took the other. Can you imagine the disciples going, Come on? What? Can you imagine Peter going, Oh, this is working. Did he turn around going, mm, how you like me now? And then start walking? And then he noticed and he began to sink, and Jesus what saved him immediately? Guys, that's a big day. <clears throat> so you get to a phrase like that in verse 22, and we forget that's what happened the day before. The next morning, all these people were sitting there looking for Jesus. The one boat that they knew the disciples went across on was gone. They thought Jesus might still be in the air. They can't find him, so they go on a search to seek and to find Jesus. We pick up in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, I can guarantee you that none of the disciples, after watching Jesus walk on water, just called him merely Rabbi. They didn't look at the guy who could walk on water and go, you're a good teacher, But the people who hadn't seen the miraculous happen, they just knew Jesus as Rabbi. They did not recognize Jesus for who he was ultimately. But he says, Rabbi, or they say, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you're not you're not seeking after me because you're blown away by the miracle. You just like my cooking. Like, you just like the fact that I fed you. That's why you're seeking after me. This has nothing to do with any sign that you saw yesterday. This is just because you like my stuff. For those of you who are Christ followers, can I ask you a question? Why are you a Christ follower? Like, why? What is the motivation behind? Why do you follow Jesus? Because for how long has it been, has it been stated like this? And don't get me wrong. I believe that there is blessing that comes from obeying God. But I believe for far too long it's been this. If you surrender your life to Christ, then you will have the perfect life. You have the best marriage, you'll have the best kids, you'll have financially, you'll be set. This is all the principles. So you can have the most comfortable life. In other words, the more comfortable you become, the less reliant we become upon Christ. Why would God want us to be so comfortable that we don't rely upon Him anymore? That would be the most unloving thing that he could do. So if Jesus was to bless us with nothing else except himself, is he still worth it? Because if the motivation is just his stuff, then it's his stuff that we want more than the provider of the stuff. Is it Jesus, or is it just his blessings? Now answer honestly, and maybe you sit there and go, I'm kind of the place where it's his stuff. Okay. Well, the crowd got to find him again. This is not a judgment, but what I'm telling you is this. It's so easy for us to say, look at the blessing of God when things are great. But when you meet the people that are suffering, and they're still saying that God is great and good and Jesus is worth it, then you realize that the motivation is deeper than just the stuff that he gives. The followers of Jesus who are now refugees because they've been pushed out of their homes and out of their country somewhere else, and they're still worshiping and praising Jesus for how great and good he is. Guys, when we get to that point, then our faith, our faith is what it's supposed to be. Jesus looked at them and said, you're only looking after me. You're trying to find me because of my stuff. Not because of the signs that made you actually realize who I was. Why do I know? Because at no point, they look at the signs, Jesus is passing out all this food. At some point, maybe somebody in the 20,000 plus should have said, is this the Messiah? Because look at what he's doing. But they call him rabbi, teacher. You get to verse 27. It says this. He says, do not work for the food that perishes... But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him, God the Father has set his seal. It's like setting a seal like his approval, his seal of approval. The Father has placed his seal of approval on the Son. But you see what he says? Don't work for food that perishes. Like work for food that's actually eternal. This does not mean that don't get a job. Don't get a job. No, do you realize that work was actually given to us before the fall? Work is not a result of the fall. Work was a ble- work is a blessing that God has given to us to use for His purposes and for His glory. But He's saying, "What is it that you're? What is it that you're so focused on in your life? Is it stuff that's just for the now, or is it stuff that will impact for eternity? Is it just about filling this need now, or is it I want to impact the kingdom?" And mean, I want to invest my time. I want to work toward the things that's going to outlast everything that I see here. But have you ever noticed how much competition comes for our time and our attention? I mean, think about it. Don't do a show of hands because I don't want anybody to go, oh, really? You ever gotten that invitation from someone and the first thing you think is, oh, crud, another one? And if that's the point, like an opportunity to relate with people, if that's our first response to everything is that maybe there's a problem. Guys, there's all this competition for our time and attention. Friends, we have hobbies, sports, schooling, work, career, advancement, relationships, and then Jesus if there's time. Isn't that kind of how it plays out sometimes? I mean, I'm about Jesus, but he has to realize I have all these other things that I need to be doing, and you forgot that he actually wants to be involved in all those things. But it's not, hey, I'll do, I'll do Jesus stuff when I've got some time. It's, I want to be about Jesus with all of my time. And so when I, when I go to work or when I'm out and about and I'm going shopping or getting groceries or whatever, if I'm out and about, God, this is your time. Like, what are we going to do? When you go to your job, And say it has nothing to do with Jesus. Really? Because if there are people there, it's about Jesus. You can impact people. I mean, that's why we're here. And so we ask God, how do you want to use this? You gave me this love for this sport or this hobby. or God, how can I use this for your glory but not give Jesus the leftover time? He's like, don't just work on the things that are temporal. Don't work for those things. Work for the things that are going to last forever. Even Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the second part of verse 7, he says this through 8. He says, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I think I've shared before when I, I met the guy named Personal Trainer. I've shared that before. And he showed me how much I did not work out correctly because it never hurt ever. I might mean, show up and I'm like, I'm in great shape. This doesn't even hurt. Why Everyone's always grunting. Okay, if anybody, anybody a gym rat? Not a gym rat. You ever go to the gym? When you go to the gym, you ever notice there's some people there, they want to make sure that you know they're there? They got their big, the big headphones on, like the Princess Leia ones, they're all ready to go, and I could never wear those, because my sweat would kill them, I'm telling you, can you imagine, I sweat doing this, you watch me work out, it's just, I'm a mess, the whole time, I like drown in my DNA, so they got the big thing, and they're just grunting the whole time, and they're just going for it, I'm like, wow, you're so strong, and, but they've, I mean, they got muscles coming, their earlobes are pumping iron, like everything's just crazy. they got abs on their neck and their back. It's like, that's them. And all this time it's just focused and reading up on things and watching YouTube so that they can be totally healthy on a body that's going to sag when they're 90. And I believe there's a necessity to work out. I believe it's helpful. Just like Paul's saying, there's some benefit to that. How many people spend so much time on whatever, whatever hobby we want to pick up, whatever we want to focus on, so much time and energy on that while neglecting to train in godliness. In other words, it takes effort to grow in our relationships with Jesus. To grow deeper with him it means to walk with him. It means we got to get up and go with him, wherever he goes. But i got to spend time. i got to train with the same intentionality for my godly walk with Christ as I do to make sure that I will be physically healthy. And how often is that neglected in the name of quote-unquote grace? I'm not saved by works. I mean, the Bible says it. Saved by grace through faith, not by works. And so a lot of times what we, quote unquote, evangelical Christians will do, hey, I'm not saved by works, so I don't need to work. Guys, we don't have to earn anything. We don't have to earn it. But it doesn't mean there's not effort. I don't have to earn anything with Jesus. He loves me. He loves you. But there is effort in this walk with Christ. But I'm telling you, he is worth it. He's worth the walk. Goes on in in chapter 6 of John, verse 28. And they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Ah, I could do that. I believe in him. Except when you look at what the word believe actually means. I believe in Jesus, but... To have a belief, a thought of him that kind of goes into your mind. I believe, I mean, got Christmas and Easter, that's good. I believe he's real. That word believe actually means this. It's this trust, faith, to believe to the extent of complete trust. Have Christian faith become a believer of the gospel. Watch this. Entrust to put something into, into the care of another. That is not this belief that's way out there. But I'm entrusting myself to Christ. And when I surrendered my life to Christ, I'm entrusting you, Jesus, with me. He gave me himself, and he gave me righteous standing before God, all by grace through faith, because he wanted to, because he loves me, and he loves you. But he did all this so I can go before God, and, he, and God the Father sees me as holy and blameless and has nothing to do with me. It's all because of Jesus. Because that's what Jesus accomplished when I believed. Jesus took all that, and when I believed in him, he gave me all of that. Because that is mind-blowing. And do you realize, I was looking at this with our home church on Wednesday, all that was put in place before the foundation of the world. He already picked me before the foundation of the world. Those of you who know Jesus, he picked you before the foundation of the world. His favor was on you before he said, let there be light. All by his grace. He says, just believe in him. Just believe in, he's pretty much saying this, just believe in me. Entrust yourself to me. That's what Jesus wants. He wants me to entrust myself to him. And some may sit there and go, well, can I really trust Jesus? Maybe you're not a follower of Christ here and you're here. Can I really entrust myself to Jesus? Well, I think, that's what, I think that's what happens in this next part of the passage. Look at verse 30. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Think about it. It's like what, what sign are you going to prove? Like what sign are you going to do to prove to us? It's like they forgot about the day before. They forgot all about what it is that Jesus already did. And then they bring up this. Our fathers ate the manna. Remember Moses? Do you see what Moses provided for some two million plus people? Manna every day. See what Moses did? It's almost like they're looking at the creator of the universe, looking face to face at God. And they're going, but what Moses did was so much more impressive than what you did. Verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, watch it, is he who, come da- who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Did you see what he said? Like, you want to settle for some manna? Like, you want to settle for heaven's version of frosted flakes? Like, that's what you want? You're actually looking at me going, yeah, give us the sign, because Moses did this. Like, Moses didn't do that. My father's the one who provided that. But the real bread of life is not a what, it's a who. The manna is supposed to be this, it's, this, it's like pointing us to Jesus and God providing our what? Our necessities. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Did you see that phrase? He who comes down. He who comes down. It's the same thing that God said to Moses. I have come down. I have come down. This bread of life. Yeah, he who comes down. He who comes down. And they say, give us this bread. And so then Jesus just says it straight up. It's like, "You're you're still not getting it. Give us this bread. I'm not talking about something physical. I'm not talking about real bread. I'm not talking about the loaf. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Just says it. Guys, you know why I am is so important there? There's something called the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And in the Greek translation of the the Old Testament, the Septuagint, that phrase I am that that God uses in Exodus chapter 3, When he says, I am, tell him, I am sent you. Friends, that's the same Greek phrase or word that Jesus uses here when he says, I am. What Jesus is saying, he's connecting himself to the great I am in Exodus chapter three. In that moment, he's saying, I am God. He's going, oh, I don't think that's what he would have said. Guys, this would have been a huge deal for everyone sitting there listening. When he says, when he starts off saying, I am They go, oh, no, no, no. No, I am. It's like this. The next time you introduce yourself to somebody, hey, say, what's your name? Can you imagine someone walking up? Hey, I'm so-and-so. Oh, I'm President Holland. You might sit there and go, President of what? Of the United States. I'm President Holland. It's, It's that kind of weird thing. And so for Jesus to go, I am the bread of life, he's saying, I am who I am. I will be who I will be, the bread of life. he's declaring to the whole crowd his true identity. And then look what comes with the bread of life. There's two things that stood out to me. The first is this, fullness of life, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So a few questions for you. Would you say that you're satisfied? You said, what do you mean? Well, just think through it would you say that you're satisfied? Would you say that you're content? Like, what you have, are you content with it, or do you need the next? Like, tech-wise, I still like the next. I don't know why. What is it? It works. Am I content? Would you say that you're at peace? You say, well, what do you Friends, I feel like, and this is for Christians, I feel like a lot of times we want Jesus plus, right? So if like, I got Jesus, but if I could just have, then my life would be complete. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am that which sustains. I am everything that you need. And here's what happens. We sit there and go, I don't know if I believe that because I don't know that I'm experiencing this fulfillment that he promises. So it can't be true. Do you see the problem with that statement? When we take the statements of Jesus and then take our experiences and decide whether or not the statements of Jesus are true based upon the experiences that we have, what we're saying is that my experience now supersedes the truth that God says. That the only thing that's true is what I experienced to be true. And even though Jesus said it and it didn't come that way, it's not true because I'm not experiencing it. I'm now the gauge. Instead of looking at it this way, if I'm not experiencing the fulfillment and the peace that Jesus promises, then what am I missing? Not Jesus, but what am I putting in his place? That if he's supposed to be preeminent in my life, If I'm supposed to find all of my source for being, peace, everything, like the fruitless spirit that comes with knowing the spirit of God in us, everything that God promises, if I'm not experiencing those things, no matter what the circumstances are, why is it that I'm not experiencing those things since Jesus says, I want to give those to you? It comes with knowing me. It's not that it's not true. It means I'm missing something. So what is it? God, show me. Jesus as the bread of life, he's supposed to be our source, our foundation for everything. So the first thing we see is this fullness of life. The second is this covenant relationship with Jesus, verse 36 through 40. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Here's the phrase, for I have come down. It's just like Jesus to make sure that he stays true to who he is. In Exodus chapter 3, and I have come down, and here in John chapter 6, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. So what if it's this? I think it just popped in my head. What if this is how we know that we're experiencing the fullness of life? Like, how do you get there? What's the practical thing to do, right? You type A people, you're check boxers. You're going to check the box right now. What's the thing you have to do? Here it is. Let's just do the will of God. Let's just do that. What's the first thing? Believe in Jesus. And trust myself to Christ. Well, what other things? It's like you ever notice like, well, I know that's it, but what else? It's like start there. Because if I love Jesus, then I'm gonna do the things that make him happy. I'm going to love them with everything I've got. I'm going to love people sacrificially, generously, caring for people. Even the ones that can't stand me, I'm going to love them in return, being filled by the Spirit to do the miraculous. I'm going to go make disciples and make those disciples and help them become disciple makers because those things are the will of God. And one of the fullness of the life that God wants us to experience is only connected to our obedience to him. instead of us just praying the prayer and waiting for heaven. I want the kind of faith that if circumstances are not in my favor, my view of Jesus does not change. He says, I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of my Father. I think he's our example, friends. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. He repeats it. Guys, you ever notice how good Jesus makes the Father sound? And how bad we picture him today? Like we picture the Father as the mean, nasty, ogre part of God. The Holy Spirit's just kind of like running around doing his thing. We don't know what he's doing. And then Jesus, he's the mediator. He's trying to keep the father from just blasting us. And here comes Jesus going, do you realize the will of the father? Guys, for God, the father so loved the world that he gave his son. Like the father is so, it's not like the father is less good than, than, than Jesus. The Trinity is good. And here comes Jesus painting this picture. This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son, watch it, and believes. Remember, everyone, that, everyone the Father draws to the Son, they'll come to him. That's God's sovereignty. God does it. Like, if you're a follower of Christ, the only reason you know Christ, if you're truly his, is because the Father wooed you, brought you to Jesus. That's the only reason. And then you had to what? Entrust yourself. God's sovereignty. Our quote-unquote choice. How does it work? I don't know. I don't have a clue. I'm just so thankful that God gets it. But no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws him or her. That is the only way that it happens. And then we must believe in him should have eternal life. And then watch Jesus' authority. And I will raise him up on the last day. I will raise. In other words, friends. If you're a follower of Christ, you will make it. Why? Because Jesus will raise you up on the last day. You're going to make it. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I have come down, friends, it is, it's supposed to be so life transforming for us to truly believe that Jesus is not just the provider, He's the provision. It's Him. We get him. He sustains us through everything. He gives us everything necessary himself. He gives us himself every single day for every moment we have to face. As the worship team comes back up, let me just read through this real quick. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. The invitation is to come to God, not just to come to a religion. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This idea of being satisfied or content or having peace with God. I'm going to give you rest. And isn't it amazing? We live in a culture where rest is actually, ah, that's, wait, you took a break? You took a nap? Are you weak? Guys, I promise you the day. I will go from here, I'm going to go have ranch dressing. When I finish ranch dressing, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get in my chair. Kelly's going to say goodnight every time. good night. I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm gone. For like 20 minutes until I wake myself up because I think I'm late to the next thing. But I conk out every, day, every Sunday. I'm gone. It's, it's a nap. I'm starting to like naps. I sleep horrible during the night. And I go, today, I'm taking a nap. And somebody said to go, you don't have a real job. I'm so glad I don't because I could take a nap in the day. Maybe at some point I'm just learning to rest. Because I'm telling you, that's, that's the hardest thing for me to do is to rest. But Jesus says, I will give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That phrase, take my yoke upon you. You know, it's so important. For an ox, the yoke that was placed on an ox, it was... It was personally fashioned for each ox. You didn't just take one and place it on everyone. Each ox got its own. Why? Because you didn't want, you didn't want to, to chafe the neck of that patient animal. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, I will give you my yoke and it will be personally crafted for you. For what it is that you need, I will give you exactly what you need. Friends, he is the bread of life. The bread of life. He's the source. He's the foundation. He's everything that we need. If the first thing that comes to your mind after that is, but what do I get? You get him. After that, that's just gravy. But you get him. You get him. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks so much. Jesus, thank you that you are the bread of life. And forgive us for how often we take our eyes off of that. And we're looking for other things to actually fulfill us. May our satisfaction and fulfillment come from only you. God, you. Jesus, you're so incredible. And we love you. As we sing this last song, God, be pleased. As it comes from hearts of people who truly love you. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.